Well, as we kick off a new series, let me welcome you all five of our, our locations, all five of our campuses. My name is Matt. But as we looked at that bumper video, you know, there comes a time every now and then, whether it's your, your business, your company, your school, your family, or in our case, in our church, where we just sort of need to kind of focus us on one thing and talk about and, and speak about and teach about just one thing where we really need to see us mobilize and we really need to see, you know, God move and we need to learn some things and wrestle with some things. And, and so back in the fall, we sort of, as, as a leadership team, our staff, our elders, just kind of felt like, you know, we need to focus our entire church, all Rock Bridgers, people from all walks of life that come to church here, we need to focus ourselves and, and ask God to teach us as the people of God to pray. And so we're going to devote really the next five weeks together. And it's going to be more than the sermon. It's going to tie into Disciple Now. It's going to tie into Kids Ministry, RB Kids. It's going to tie into our small groups. We're going to talk about some other opportunities. So it's not just the one hour a week deal of coming and, and hearing me teach about prayer. It's all comprehensive, all of our ministries, all of our expressions of the body of Christ. And we're just praying together, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and here's what we know about prayer, okay? And it's, it's, it's amazing because, you know, some of you have given up on it. Some of you know you need to pray more or some of you are like, pray better. But, but here's kind of what we know about prayer in America. Let me just share some things with you. 55% of Americans say they pray daily. That goes up to about 80% who have prayed once in the last, uh, you know, a couple of months or so. Uh, so, yeah, 79% once in the last three months. 30% of atheists pray. Don't know who we pray to there, but 30% pray. And then 38% of what's kind of called the nuns, they, they claim no religious affiliation, no denomination. They're not Protestant. They're not Catholic. They're not Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim. But 38% of nuns pray at least once or a couple of times a month. So it's something that we all talk about. It's something we all do. I mean, you hit your thumb with a hammer, you pray. Uh, it may not be the right way to pray, but you pray. And the problems, though, come in with this. I mean, most of us that have been in church are like, okay, is it, you know, I know I need to pray more preacher. I know I need to pray better. Some of you are like, man, when I pray, it just must malfunction because I don't hear anything. I don't get anything. There's no answers that have come. So there's doubt and uncertainty with you uh, about your prayer life. And, and then preachers, and I, myself included, I've probably taught on prayer multiple times in the last 15 years. We compound the problem because we preach, we preach sermons that are basically, you need to pray more, shame on you for not, or you need to pre pray better. And here's how to pray better. And so what I want to do is I, I sort of want to take the pressure off a little bit. And I just want to say you can't pray more and you can't pray better <clears throat> by simply being told to do so. All right. This is like your math teacher saying, hey, you should do better at math. And, and you're like, okay, tell me how. So it's kind of crazy. But, we'll, but that's kind of what preachers do. Hey, pray more. And pray better, and then you know go out and and change the world. And so we want to kind of approach this a little bit differently because here's what happens when it's only about pray more and pray better. A couple of attitudes develop. All right, the first attitude is you get kind of guilt tripped by the preacher. You know, I just drive by and I'm like, hey, guilty, 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 guilty. See y'all next week. Pray more, okay? And and, and it's like because because you feel guilty because I don't pray enough, and how much is enough? 
And shame on you, you only pray six minutes a day or six minutes a year, you're guilty, you're terrible, you're awful, do better, and, and you kind of run away. Or, or you don't pray right. You know, you don't know, like I, you know, some of you think that my prayers count more than your prayers. Some of you think you have to know the King James English to pray. And so you're just like, yeah, I don't know what to do. I don't know how, how to go about it. And then like, have you ever had mental drift when you're praying? Right? I mean, you're praying for your kids. The next thing you know, you're like, oh, who's going to pick up the kids from school? And the next thing you know, you're crying because you're remembering an episode of This Is Us. Right? I mean, it's just crazy how your mind will drift. The other day, I, I'm praying for my son because he's like, Dad, I want to learn wrestling. I want, I'm, I, you know, take me to, I want to learn how to wrestle, okay? That, and so I wrestled in, in a little bit in middle school, a little bit in high school. I had to wrestle at the Naval Academy some for a PE. So I know it's a tough sport. And so I'm like, okay, he's either going to love it or hate it because, you know, you're getting thrown around and you got to be disciplined and focused. So I'm praying for Abraham about his first little practice, his first little wrestling practice. The next thing you know, I'm thinking about WrestleMania and Ric Flair and The Undertaker, and I have lost it. I'm like, and I'm your pastor, and I'm supposed to be the best prayer in the room, according to some of you. We're going to debunk that theory in just a minute. So, I mean, your mind just sort of drifts. When, when you pray, and then you're like, oh, then you feel, then you're back to guilty. Oh, I don't pray enough, or I don't pray right. And then the another attitude is just confusion. You know, I don't know how to pray, uh, or I don't know how to pray to get answers. So, so think about this. If, if we just sort of, we would never do this, but if we just said, hey, everybody's got to come up here and pray aloud for 30 seconds, I mean, some of you would rather be taken to the emergency room <laughs> than, than that happen, right? I mean, it is crazy that, oh, because, why? Because, I don't know how, or I'm not sure I pray right. And, and so all that stuff gets baked into your psyche. It gets baked in to your attitude. It gets baked in to, to what's going on. And so then, you know, preachers will teach you kind of these acronyms and these things. That, like there's some combination lock. You got to pray in Jesus' name. You got to pray according to this. You got to pray according to that. We'll give you this ACTS, A-C-T-S model, the PRAY, P-R-A-Y model. And, and if you're like, I don't know what he's talking about exactly. And it's like there's some kind of combination that unlocks the door to heaven that gets your prayers heard. And if you know the combination, good for you. If you don't, well, you're just sort of, you know, out of luck. And so I, I just want to take the pressure off, okay? I'm not going to guilt trip you. I'm not going to tell you you got to pray more. I'm not going to tell you you got to pray better. Because here's the problems with that. The, the problems with that are, are this. The first problem is it becomes law-based. And this is what some of you hate about church, hate about religion, hate about preachers, is that we're all about the rules sometimes. That's why you left 22 years ago, and finally somebody coaxed you to come into church with them, and here we are, are we talking about more rules? No, no, no. So law-based is you ought or you should or you should not, or you ought not. Law-based can just be driven by guilt. And here's what I know about guilt. It can motivate you for a little bit, and if you're really disciplined, it'll motivate you for a while. But after a while, it just, guilt just wears you down and wears you out. So, so we're not going to do law-based. The second thing is when we, get, when we do prayer sermons and it's all about how-to-based, then it can come about, become about performance. And then you're praying, and you're not a prayer-er, you're a performer. Because, hey, you're performing for God to hear you. 
You're performing in such a way. You're like, well, I don't pray as bad as those people, so surely my prayer just bumped me to the first of the line or something. And there's all kinds of these uh, crazy, crazy attitudes and crazy, crazy problems, and preachers make it worse, and churches make it worse. So I am going to try, uh, hopefully through the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God, just to kind of take all that pressure off, not guilt trip you, not do anything but other than, hey, God, teach us how to pray. And, and today, what we're going to focus on is is this. What is the one condition we need to meet in order to really, really pray? There, just one, and, and there's really only one, and, and we're going to unpack that, but there's really only one condition. And, and guess what? All of you, every single one of you listening, you know, Hickson, Calhoun, Ringo, Dalton, Chatsworth, somebody gave you a CD, somebody put you onto our, our website, every single person listening to this message, whether you know it or not, you already meet this condition. That's the good news. And you're scratching your head. You're like, I haven't been to seminary. You're like, I don't even know how to pray. I wouldn't even know how to start. Or you're like, I don't know King James. Um, I mean, you, you, some of you are like, oh, really? That's, that's the good news. There is one condition to meet in order to really, really pray. And if we could embrace this condition, you would pray. And you would pray prayers that get answers. Answers. And you already meet the condition. Well, what is the condition? Glad you asked. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, you can read with me on the screen. We actually printed these, these, four or five, these three or four verses for you on your bulletin, or you can open your own Bible up or turn your Bible app on And Hebrews chapter 4. So a little background just so you understand. Hebrews is, about, is written to a group of Jewish Christians who were suffering terribly, and, and the first part of the book is really just explaining the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Christ to, the, to these Jewish Christians so that they rest in who he is and who he is specifically for them. So we're going to pick it up reading in verse 14, and here we go. Therefore, in light of everything and this rest and the supremacy of Jesus, since we have, and he uses a very Jewish phrase, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. So there's three kind of adjectives or three descriptors of Jesus, uh, of this particular high priest, which is Jesus given. He's great. He's passed through the heavens, which is a, a, a reference to the ascension after he was resurrected from the dead, and that he is the actual son of God. He is, he is from God, of God, and, and, is, and, and is God. So those three things we talk about with the great high priest. So again, most of you or some of you believe that the pastor's prayers, or if you grew up Catholic, the priest's prayers, or your, your grandmother, your grandfather was a prayer warrior. So when you needed someone to pray for for you, you needed to go find someone who could pray better than you. All right, now that what, what, what the author of Hebrews is saying is we, we, not just a few of us, but we all have a great high priest. Same one for all of us. And, and, and it's not Matt Evans, and it's not your campus pastor's name or, or some elder's name, it's Jesus the Son of God. And that's very key that we understand this, okay? That he wants us to know we have a great high priest. Now, when he says high priest, what does he mean? The priest was somebody who would go into the very 
presence of God once a year and do business before God on behalf of the people. And he would work for the people's behalf. And he was the only one that could do certain things in the Holy of Holies, in the temple or the tabernacle uh, during the sacrificial system of, uh, of the Old Testament or of the Jewish people. So he would sort of work on behalf of the people. Okay, And, and so what the author here is saying, we all have this high priest. He's great. He passed through the heavens and he is the son of God. So because of that, let us, here's the first command, hold fast to our confession. And he's talking about the confession that Jesus is our king, Jesus is our savior. And he's added this little descriptor. He's also our great high priest. And he describes this high priest. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So we have someone that, that understands what it's like to be a human being in a broken world. Why? But one, because he's one who has been tempted in every way, as we are, yet, was with, yet is without sin. So, so listen, when you say, hey, pastor, can you pray for me? I'm happy to do that, but please don't think that I pray any better than you pray. When you say to your priest or your grandfather who's a prayer warrior, don't believe that they pray any better than, than I do. Why? Because I am not without sin. Jesus, your high priest, your great high priest, the Son of God who passed through the heavens, is without sin. But he's walked in our shoes. He's cried. He's been betrayed. He's been hurt by people. He, he's been let down. He's been tempted. So he can sympathize with you and with me, yet he didn't sin. So his prayers or his work as the high priest on our behalf is way more effective. And you don't have to go through me to get to him. You can go directly to him. So you can pray to a great high priest, not a sinful pastor or a, 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 a human father figure. So in light of who Jesus is, great high priest, here's what he says. Therefore, second command, let us approach the throne of grace. This is amazing. Now, this is, this is powerful. Jewish rabbis in the first century taught that in heaven there were two thrones. There was a throne of judgment and a throne of grace because they could not see how God could execute judgment and give grace simultaneously. Those two thrones are merged in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was judged on the cross and now all God wants to give people is grace. Grace is stuff you don't deserve, I don't deserve because we're with sin, but our high priest is without sin. All right, so it's all starting to come together. So therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with the correct language, with our Father, with holiness, with perfection, with obedience, with my act together. How, how do we approach the throne of grace? Boldness. I, I, I mean, so what, we're like, why did we put that adjective there? Boldness or, or adverb. How do we approach the throne of grace? With boldness. So that, and, and, and when you approach the throne of grace, something's going to happen. We may receive mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Not getting what you deserve. And find grace getting better than you deserve to help us in our time of need. So your prayers, he says, because of the high priest, get answered. 
All right, so there's a little bit of a paradox here and that we need to embrace this tension to feel the power that I think God wants to reveal to us, okay? How are the people of Hebrews described in this passage or in this text? The people of Hebrews are sinners. They're with sin. The high priest is without it. They're with sin. They're described as weak. They go through sufferings and, and they're, with their weakness. They're being tested, okay? They need an advocate, and that's what Jesus is presented as. He's the great high priest who advocates before them, before the throne of grace, and they're very needy. So these are not strong people. These are not self-sufficient people. These are weak. These are tested. These are needy people. And yet do needy. And yet he says weak people are praying boldly. And that's kind of a paradox. Because when you think weak, you think you can't be bold about anything. You think weak, you don't think confidence, which is parallel or synonymous with boldness. When you think weak, you think coward in a corner. You think afraid. You think cowering. You think no self-confidence, no, no, no capacity to do anything. You know, you know, insufficient, incompetent, and all those kind of things we don't want to be when you, we are associated with weak. And yet he says these weak people are praying boldly. What closes the gap between weak people who can pray bold prayers? The high priest. The type of high priest that stands between weak people and the grace of God is the great high priest that is Jesus Christ. So now we can break this whole thing down and understand a powerful, powerful implication and understand this one condition that you have to meet, which you already do, that, that will unpack and, and, and empower your praying. So there's a couple of things to talk about. First is this. You and I, when we pray, we need to quit focusing on our praying and focus on our high priest. Think about that. You're, you're in your mind, you're like, am I saying the right things? Oh my gosh, did I do something wrong? Is God going to hear me? Oh, I don't pray as eloquently as that person in my small group. Oh my goodness, I don't know enough. I, I'm not good enough. And you focus on yourself and you talk and you're not, then you, next thing you know, there's no boldness to your prayer. In fact, there's fear uh, and maybe guilt and maybe I shouldn't even bother. I'll just go call somebody else and have them pray for me. So you're focusing on your praying when you should be focusing on who or what, not yourself, not self-focus, but focus on your high priest. In other words, when you pray, you're not supposed to be self-confident, you're supposed to be high priest confident. So hear me, hear me, hear me. The goal today, the goal this weekend is not self-confidence in prayer, but rather high priest confidence. He's great, he passed through the heavens, he's without sin, he's the son of God. So the goal here in this whole context is for us to get our eyes off ourselves and put our eyes squarely on this beautiful person, God-man, that's described here in Hebrews and focus on our great high priest. Now, here's the cool thing, okay? This kind of praying that's being taught here in Hebrews that we're talking about this weekend, it's not like, you know, the old Hail Mary pass, the last ditch, desperation move, and you don't know if it's going to work, the probability it's not going to work. A lot of us approach prayer that way, okay? The desperation play, well, this passage presents us as desperate, needy people, but our high priest is capable. So you can't look at prayer as the last ditch, last resort, all we can do is pray, Sometimes the best thing, the only thing you need to do is pray. And so it's not teaching that. It's teaching boldness because of our high priest. Second thing that comes out of this passage, very powerful, is prayer is not a performance. Prayer, your prayer life, my prayer life is not a performance. And the challenge is this. When we present prayer plans, 
oftentimes they become into performance plans. And, and you're praying, you're like, I did this, I did this, I did this. All right, God, answer. Or, or you're like, I, I, I pray like this, I pray like that. Man, God surely got to hear me now. Or you're like, man, I'm terrible at this. Why am I even bothering? No way God's going to hear me. And, and the performance we're banking on in prayer is not ours. It's our high priest performance. So think of it this way. All right, there's two ways. You need to have a plan when you pray. But there's two kinds of plans. There's the kind of plan that you need to be if you're going to be an athlete or you're going to improve a skill. Okay, you're going to make your performance better. So you practice, you eat differently, you, you exercise, you lift weights, you run, whatever the case may be. And that's your plan. And it's a performance improvement plan. Your prayer plan is more like the plan you have when you need to go see a doctor. You don't care how you look. You just throw whatever's comfortable on, and you're like, Doc, fix me. And you make an appointment, or you schedule it, and you go, and, 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 but you're not going to perform. You're going to get help. And that's the difference of what the author of Hebrews is trying to teach us. And I have, you know, being, being from the Bible Belt and preaching in the Bible Belt in this religious culture, we have made prayer more of a performance than a trip to the great physician. We've made prayer like going to practice to throw a football better or lift more weights or run faster than we've made it like a trip to the hospital to the emergency room. And so we get discouraged or we get into this comparison game. Oh, I can't pray like Matt. Matt, will you pray for me? I'll be happy to pray for you, but Matt's not the great high priest who passed through the heavens and is the son of God and without sin. Matt's a sinner. I need a high priest. And I'm going to talk to the same high priest that you can talk to. So it's not performance. It's talking as a sick person to your great physician. Now, here's the problem. When prayer gets too focused on performance or on a method, it can easily become connected to us being meritorious. What, it mean, what meritorious means is you merit an answer, that God will answer you because your method is right or your performance is good. And this is anti-gospel. When I say anti-gospel, I mean this. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died in your place. He lived the life you and I cannot live, could not live. He paid the debt you and I cannot pay, could not pay. He paid it, he paid it in a way that was pleasing to the Father. The Father resurrected him through the Spirit from the dead and said, anybody who comes to me, Jesus is now your high priest. He's without sin. I accept his sacrifice. You can be my son. You can be my daughter. You can be adopted into my forever family of God. And it will be nothing that you've earned, nothing that you deserve. So it's anti-human anti performance, anti-self-effort. So isn't it interesting that we believe you get saved by no merit of our own, no deserving of our own, no performance of our own, yet we turn around and think our prayer is now based on our performance. That is anti-gospel. That is anti-Jesus. That is anti-great high priest. That is the gospel of me, myself, and I, and I can do it. Versus me, myself, I can't do it. I need Jesus to do it for me. When you realize that, and you recognize that, you now understand there is only one condition you need to meet to talk to God to get your prayers answered. Only one. You have to be needy. That's it. Helpless. Pick, pick your synonym. Desperate. 
at the end of your rope. That's all you got to be. You do not have to know Greek. You do not have to know Hebrew. You do not have to have a perfect day. You do not have to have perfect church attendance. You do not have to be sinless. You do not have to know King James English. You do not have to have a theological degree. You do not have to be dressed in your Sunday best. You don't have to be on your knees. You don't have to be on your face. You don't have to stand. You, don't have, you can pray anywhere. You just have to be needy. That's all you have to do. And, and whether you know it or not, or you walked in here realizing it or not, everybody meets that condition in some area, some arena of your life. So you know what that means? You can pray with boldness because you have a great high priest. Let me say this. If you didn't need Jesus, he wouldn't have come. So let me give you a great definition for prayer. It is simply bringing our neediness to Jesus. That's it. Now, here's the problem, okay? Here's the problem. Here's the challenge. here's Here's what's going on inside of us, okay? The very, and this is the battle. This is the battle we're fighting as a church. It's the battle we fight as evangelicals, as Christians, as Americans. The very condition we need to be effective at prayer is the very condition we are allergic to as Americans. How many of us want to admit, like to admit, hey, I'm needy, I'm helpless, I'm insufficient, I can't do it. That is like, we have an allergic reaction to that, don't we? We don't like to ask for help. We're independent. Pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can do it. It's like a trip to Home Depot. And that's the battle. The battle is not for me to teach you a how-to method. The battle is not for me to pound into you guilt. You don't pray enough. You don't pray enough. The battle is for you and I just to fall down in humility and say, God, I'm needy. I'm helpless. I need you. And he'll hear you. He'll hear you. Challenge. If you are praying, this quote from a pastor, if you're not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired and a little too busy. But if you realize you cannot do life on your own, then no matter how busy or how tired you are, you will find time to pray. Boom. So I, I don't have to say, pick a time, pick a place. If you're sick, do I have to tell you, go, find, go get, make an appointment for the doctor? No, you're, boop, you know, you're, everybody's calling. It just forces that. And that's the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing is you, don't, you won't have to be taught how to pray. Your desperation will teach you to pray. Your neediness will move you to pray, especially when you see the glory, the beauty of the great High priest who passed through the heavens was without sin and is Jesus, the Son of God, who's willing to be an advocate for you. Powerful. So you ever hear this? You know, we talk about prayer warriors and people who are good at praying. Being good at praying is like like not true. You can't be good at praying because prayer is not a performance. Here's what prayer warriors are. They aren't good at prayer. They're good at admitting their helplessness. That's it. They're just good at admitting their helplessness. And they are convinced that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, who is the Son of God and was without sin, standing by ready to help in the time of need with grace and mercy. So you see the beauty of this? We can talk about prayer methods. I can say, hey, pick a time, pick a place, pick a time, pick a place, but stop. Neediness will automatically increase our frequency and our discipline in prayer. Yeah. 
Neediness will do it automatically. When Beth had leukemia, there were certain medicines we had to take at the same time every day. Do you think we missed one of those? <laughs> no way. It was written down, tattooed anywhere we can put it, yellow sticky, whatever it took. We were not going to miss that. And we were going to make it. Do you think we ran out of that prescription? No. Absolutely not. Because when you face something that forces you into a posture of neediness, you will do whatever it takes, whenever it takes, for how often it takes in order to get the medicine, in order to get the need met. So neediness and recognition of the great high priest, you put those two things together, I can't keep you from praying. But you know how Satan keeps you from praying? I don't need God. I can do it myself. I can do life without God. So I want to just give you one thing to pray for the next several days. One thing. Lord, increase my awareness of my need for you. Lord, increase my awareness of my need for you. Now here's the challenge. I don't want anybody to get confused. I want you to get mad at God. How do you think God's going to answer that prayer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're not going to think, oh, God's being so merciful to me because he put more. He's, I'm facing something I don't think I can handle. God, why did you let that happen? That is mercy in disguise because he's creating a condition to increase your dependence to move you to pray so you can pray with boldness to the great high priest, the Son of God who passed through the heavens was without sin, and he will give you grace and mercy to help you in your time of need. Don't be confused. Don't be confused. This is, you know, go read Paul. Hey, Lord, take the thorn away. Take the thorn away. Three times. God didn't take it away. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. And then Paul's next phrase is this. So I will boast in my weakness. I will boast in my weakness. Most of us pray, God, take my weaknesses away. And then you're confused and mad at God when he doesn't. If the one condition we have to meet in order to pray correctly, pray effectively, whatever you want to call it, is neediness. When we pray, Lord, increase my awareness of my need for you, it's going to give us eyes to see things differently and receive things differently. Because here's what I, here's what I want us to hear. Everybody walked in to whatever venue, whatever campus, however you're listening to this, you walked in here needy. You may not own that, acknowledge that, or recognize that, but you walked in here already meeting the condition. And when you ask God to increase your awareness, here's what it's going to position you to do. You're going to see how God answers your prayer. And here's why. Because according to Hebrews 4.16, every time we pray, we get help that we do not deserve. And that's how you're going to see God answer your prayers. Because you're needy, you need grace and mercy. Grace is you get more than you deserve. Mercy is you do not get what you, the thing you deserve from God. And so you're going to be positioned to receive God's help. And you're going to, because you're, just not going to, you're not entitled, you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it. God just loves to give it when you go through the high priest, the great high priest. That's so powerful, is it not? So powerful that there's answers to prayer that are promised here. So the good news is this. God answers the prayers of sinners. That's the only kind of people there are. Not perfect people. 
So listen, let's stop for a second. Some of you, you walked in here, and, and, and you walked in here, and you need hope for your kids. And, you, and you're like, hey, Matt, give me something for my kids. And this isn't a parenting sermon. And you're like, I need a parenting technique. I need a parenting strategy. When you realize that really what your kids need is the grace of God in their lives, you'll pray for your kids. And that's the greatest parenting strategy you could be taught. Some of us, you know, walk in here and like, God, my marriage is bad. Or it could be better. And you want me to give you five steps to, you know, have a better marriage. And then there's all that. You're like, hey, God, do I need to know my wife's love language? Well, that helps. But here's what you really need to know. It takes the grace and mercy of God to bring two sinners together into a one flesh union and make them a beautiful couple. That's what we need. And the way to get the grace of God in our time of need is how? Throne of grace with boldness through our high, great high priest. That's the greatest marriage thing we could, I could ever talk to you about. So some of you, you know, you walked in, you're like, hey, I need a decision. How do I make a decision? How do I know God's will for my life? When you recognize that God's wisdom is available to you through prayer, we'll talk more about that next week and the next, but God's wisdom is available to you in prayer and through prayer and that you're one decision away from stupid, we've increased your neediness and shown you where to get the wisdom at the throne of grace through the great high priest. And that's your decision-making strategy right there. When we talk about the mission of our church, that we want to see 10,000 people in Tennessee North Valley, Northwest Georgia connected to life in Christ, we want to see 400 people baptized in the next 12 months, our, our strategy is not that we have the best facility or the greatest strategy or the great musician or, or the great preacher or we have all these slick methods. Our strategy is we're going to pray because that's where we get grace and mercy from our great high priest. So as we move through the prayer project, we're going to help us mobilize, okay? So as you leave, or it's in your bulletin, but a couple of things. So there's the five-by-five prayer initiative or prayer challenge. And, and here's all we're asking, okay? Five minutes a day. We want you to pray for five weeks, five minutes a day. That's it, all right? Now, nobody's going to check if you've done it. It's not a performance. It's just, hey, needy people, this is an appointment time for you with God. All right, so that's just awesome, just an easy handlebar. We have these journals, the Prayer Project journals. We roughly have enough for every adult and teenager that attends our services. On your way out at our connection centers or near our doors, all of our campuses, you can pick this out. We give you some guidelines so you can record your thoughts and how you're talking to God. We're just trying to resource you. These are tools, not rules. Hear me, tools, not rules. Hear me, tools, not rules to facilitate your neediness driving you to pray, all right? So the five-by-five five challenge, the journals are for you. Facebook Live, okay? Every Wednesday, starting next Wednesday at 7 a.m. and noon, a member of our staff on Facebook will be leading a time of prayer. You can just log on for as long as you can, as long as you want to, and you can pray with us and pray with our staff, and they'll be facilitating a time of prayer. Now, time and place, this, all, all I'm asking you to do, you're not a bad person. If you miss it, this is just like your appointment to the doctor, okay? So all, 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 we're, all we're trying to do is provide opportunities for that. And then on March the 25th, we have a day of prayer, 12-hour day of prayer at all of our campuses. That's a Saturday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. 
You'll come by the facility anytime. You stay as little as you want, as long as you want to just pray as needy people before God. And this is how we're mobilizing and how we're offering opportunities to move ourselves closer to the throne of grace to do what God has promised to do. So those are our, our, some of our opportunities in this prayer initiative that, that excites me because here's what I know. Here, I, I don't have to convince myself of this. We're all needy people. And God, in His grace and His goodness and His mercy, has simply said, you can come not with hesitancy. You can come not on your tiptoes. You don't have to come in, in perfection. You come as you are to the throne of grace through the high priest. As long as you realize you need a high priest, then there is grace and mercy to help you in your time of need. So when you pray, here's my last word of encouragement. When you pray, come messy and come boldly. Come messy and come boldly. That's it. And you have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. And you know what Jesus is doing right now? Waiting for your prayers and working through your prayers because he is a great high priest. He passed through the heavens. He's the son of God. He's without sin. And he invites messy people needy people, desperate people to come boldly. And he promises you'll find grace, something you do not deserve. You'll find mercy. You won't get what you do deserve to help you in your time of need. So, Rockbridge, let us pray. God, I, I, one, I just want to pray for a release by your spirit of a stronghold of guilt that might be on people about prayer. I, I just want to pray, God, you set people free from guilt. God, I want to pray for freedom from legalism. This, that we have to pray this way or that way or this long or that long. And, and in order for you to hear us, God, break that spirit off right now in the name of Jesus, our great high priest. God, I want to pray against a spirit of fear when it comes to prayer. Where we're so self-conscious that we're just afraid we're going to mess it up. Being a mess up is the very condition to pray. May we receive that in Jesus' name. And I just want to pray, God, for a humility of spirit in your people, in your church, and everyone within the sound of my voice. That we could boldly say, we are needy, we are helpless, we are desperate. But thank you, God, because you have provided a great high priest for us. And because of that, God, we come as we are, boldly, to your throne. Not of judgment, but of grace. And we rest there knowing that we will find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. King Jesus, would you meet with people wherever they are, as they came in, brokenness, hurt, sinfulness, imperfections, sufferings, pain, problems, blessings, celebrations, as they are, God, would you meet with them right now? 
And Lord, by your spirit, through the blood of our high priest, would you draw us to that throne of grace? God, through this series, would you change us as your people? Would you teach us, God, to pray? In your name we pray, O Jesus, our great high priest. Amen.